Hello, Merlin. Dan, you made it. I made it. You made it on time, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it's snowing now, but it, it was supposed to snow like starting in the night last night. So they canceled all the schools and oh, everything God. else, but it didn't start snowing, but it did sort of sleet. It was sleeting mm. earlier, and now it is snowing, but I'm at the office recording, and uh, the snow is very light. I don't think it's going to be a problem. Did the school uh, cancellation stick? Yeah, they kept it once they once they kind of say we're canceling it. It uh, it kind of um, it, it, it they don't go back on that. Wow, that's four days in a row with the kids at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's had, fun. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, and maybe tomorrow because it the snow is continued to. They predict that it will continue to go, so they might even have tomorrow off. This is a problem with our contemporary times that I think leads to a certain kind of bias. Uh, you know, one problem is that like our weather predictions have gotten way better, yeah, but they can't be precise enough to know whether it will trigger B communities that are not really wired for certain kinds of situations. You see this in the South lot, like you'll see this in cities like, uh, like when it rains in Atlanta, everybody gets insane. <laughs> Yes. You know, yes. Like the first rain of the year, everybody gets, it happens here. It happens here. It's like, oh, we've never seen rain before. Ah. And my wife's commute time doubles on the first Ugh, day. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always, there's always some cowboy that thinks he can just fly through, <laughs> causes an accident. Now the 280's a mess. Ugh. But you know what I'm saying? The contemporary times, they, they can't save us. Science can't save us from this. No. Uh, and, you know, you would think that once people were sort of used to it that it would get better but both of us i don't know if that was your experience in florida but it mine was that people don't improve even if they even if they have to deal with rain every single day which happens in the summer in florida or used to uh i just remember every single day and when i lived in orlando for like two or three years every day in the summer it would rain three or four o'clock and people every afternoon yeah Yeah, and, and 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 no one knew no one could respond to it like it was still a surprise every single day every day right right but you know there's a there's a tendency not a tendency it's practically a cult of like you know if you if you're from a place where it snows all the time you're like wow i can't believe you guys are however i've got 58 feet of snow and i'm happy and it's like well you know maybe your community's set up for that maybe your house is ready for that kind of thing right but you know especially like i say especially when it's the first time that a climactic event happens in a given season or year, you get the stuff like, I mean, I don't know if this is an urban myth. I've always heard it said that the first time it rains, especially pretty hard, a lot of oil in the roads gets sort of uh, liberated, making it kind of doubly slippery. Yeah. I've heard the same thing Um, because I guess there, this stuff is, that's is normally embedded in the asphalt somehow. And, it then rises up and po- and causes the water to pool, which creates a hydroplaning situation. Mm. I guess, but I, thank I don't. You for, thank I don't you for know. doing it. I'm glad. I'm really glad you made it. Yeah, in. it was fine. Every you know, there's no one on the roads. There's nothing going on, and and it actually worked out because my kid has a science fair project due. Oh, at tell the me end about of the it. week. And what's do, going on? Do you have one too? Oh no, we don't. No, no, no. I mean, literally, tell me about it. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious about this. Uh, well, he. It's a because a lot. A lot of times, these things are a little bit of a boondoggle. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a ma- it's mandatory. It's not like he signed up to do it. It's everyone's sort of just required to do it. But his um, was actually is really interesting. There's a um, uh, I've I've heard this referred 
to maybe, and I don't know if this is, as you would say, uh, ping pong or not, mm. but there is something called a Baghdad battery. Have you ever heard of a, ba- oh, a Baghdad? Anyway, basically you can make, and it, this it just is- keeps insisting that uh, they're winning the war. <laughs> um, you Baghdad can, Bob. <laughs> Magnet Bob, Magnet Bob's battery. What what you do to? I didn't know that like you could just make a battery. But basically, here's what you do to make a battery. This was his science project. Uh, you you take, um, you take a paper towel and you cut it up into small squares that are you know I forget exactly the size, like an inch by an inch, small, just about the size of a coin, just about the mm-hmm. size of a, of a penny. And you then take a little piece of aluminum foil. You put it down on a paper towel on top of a plate. You soak the uh, the small cut up pieces of paper towel in a solution of vinegar and salt. This mm-hmm. is creates ions and protons or something. Mm. And then you take a penny, and then on top of the penny, you put the penny on top of the aluminum foil. Then you put one of the little pieces of paper towel soaked, not not soaking wet, not dripping, but just wet. Then you put that, then you put a nickel. And then if you uh, have a multimeter, which everyone should have, I'll, mm-hmm. put, I'll put one in the show notes. It's more a question of which one will I use. Right, which one do you want? The, anyway, you take, you take the um, one connection and you put it on the aluminum foil and the other you put on top, of the, uh, on top of the nickel and you find that it's actually generating a very, very, very low electrical current. Um, hmm. And of course- the, So it's not a very good battery. It's, it's I mean- it's good for you know being made of pennies and nickels, I guess. But that's it, a good point. For six cents plus paper towels, you got a battery. <laughs> that's right. It's a pretty good deal. I don't know how many it would take to power a light bulb. We didn't do that. That was not part of the experiment. What if it's a really crappy light bulb? Then it I mean, might a really crappy battery. Yeah, it. there you go. Mm-hmm. But uh, the more pennies, nickels, and paper towels you put on the stack, the more the more volts that you generate. So the experiment was to to do this and then there you have to make you know how they, they have those like three fold poster boards? Uh, so oh, yeah, yeah. They sell those now at the Walgreens. Yes, you they're can go like and get pre-made. Your little, uh, it's kind of a tripartite. It's a Hegelian uh, science chart. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, you make your Baghdad battery and you take pictures of the whole process and you'd have to do like a little card that has your conclusion and you have to do headings and analysis and data. And they actually Oops. like you do number of coins and then you do the voltage produced and then you put that into a little chart and, and it pr- produces a nice little graph uh, that they that, that's on there. Anyway, it was... Uh, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful way to spend the morning. He really enjoyed it, and thank God it's over. And I hate their homework, and I hate their science projects, and I hate school. Yeah, uh, I think I agree with uh, mostly with two of those. Yeah, Baghdad it's battery, Baghdad battery. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I always did. I always did really stupid ones. Because here's the thing. Let's be honest. Our kids are at that special age where you don't want to tell them how dumb they are. Mm. It's a, it's a very special age, and if they're ambitious about some dumb idea, I mean, some kind of a creative idea, let's put it that way, and they do the thing as assigned, and they write hypothesis, and they write results, and they do all the things that they're supposed to do, yeah. they'll probably do fine. Mm-hmm. But I would do stuff like reading to plants. You know, <laughs> will the plants grow better if I read to them and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, I would. I would do really. I mean, there's a reason I'm not a scientist. I think. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this, and I don't read up on this stuff, but 
we shouldn't get into the homework thing, but homework's weird. And, and like, you know, the, the grade that our, your, your young boy yeah, man, fourth grade. and my girl woman are in, mm-hmm. they're right on the precipice of like, okay, everybody knows, at least here, everybody knows one thing, which is fifth grade, everything gets real. Cause now you are going to start getting a ton of homework and we want you to be prepared for that. We want you to do daily stuff like reading logs. That's, that's generally our homework this year is you do reading logs. Right. There's that. So there's the sort of sprint of like you have to write in your reading log every day in contravention of, of that order. My daughter does the entire thing on Monday and is done for the week so she can play Nintendo. But um, but you're supposed to do that every day. And then there's the projects like you're describing here uh, where like she's doing a report on Persian cats. And that one's more like the slow motion. Like first you have to like gather facts about cats and then you organize them and you do this. And that's over like weeks and weeks and weeks. But, you know... I don't know. I, I guess I guess it helps you prepare. I think it's really more about trying to build a habit or build a muscle or even a tolerance for this stuff. The actual homework itself is so silly sometimes. It's just in the years where we've had homework, as I've mentioned before, sometimes by mutual assent, the entire grade, all the faculty teachers will agree. We're just not going to do that kind of stuff. We're not going to do that. Here's a worksheet that, that we got off the Internet where you just duplicate what you did at school today. Right. So I'm glad that that is um, – going away. And I, I mean, I've heard at least secondhand, again, I haven't read any primary research on this, but th- they say that like up to a certain grade, that kind of stuff is just a grind. It makes you kind of hate school and it doesn't do stuff to actually improve what you know about yeah, things. But right. I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but it's, I sort of, we said this, I feel like, I think I talked about this here, but I, I sometimes feel like back to that phrase from Glengarry Glenn Ross, what is this in service of? I sometimes feel like it's really unclear. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this with regard to like reading the directions. For things like you know taking a test and stuff, but right. I sometimes feel like it's pretty unclear. Like if this goes great, my kid will have gotten better at this thing, right? And if if, if that means they've gotten better at knowing the history of California, that could be a thing. Cool. If another thing is they've shown that they can get stuff done on time. That's right. a good thing. Yes. If it's showing showing that their handwriting is improving, that's a good thing. If it shows that their grammar and usage is good, but like sometimes it just feels like it, it's just it doesn't feel very thought through sometimes. The the homework in general. The kinds of assignments that are more than just turn this widget stuff. Like, so oh, with reading right. log, the idea is you're supposed to read every day at home and then you write down like what the book was, how many pages, what time, and then like a short paragraph. It's not right. difficult, but it is, it's something you're, it's like brushing your teeth. You're supposed to do this every day. Like that, I mean, I don't love that for reasons I've stated. I don't like that it turns the joy of reading into a sort of empty assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, although again, I get why they do it. It's the more like medium sized ones of homework that like seem sometimes like I'm not really sure where they're going with this, but I don't know. I guess you got to get ready for middle school. You know, stuff gets real. I don't know. It really gets real. Doesn't it? Um, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. The, I just, I have problems with the way that homework is assigned. You know, I remember when I was working on one of my four, first full-time jobs, uh, out of school, a friend of mine was, he'd been working five, 10 years longer than me. And he was very, very, very good software developer. I learned a lot from him. And one of the things he said, he was, he was complaining about, you know, what's wrong with the corporate world. And, you know, and one of the things he said is he, he said, you know, a lot of the time I'll wake up in the middle of the night or I'll be up late and I'll get an idea and it'll be the thing that, that we need to fix this problem or to, to, you know, you know, I'll wake up and I'll write code for a couple of hours. 
and it'll be the best code. It'll be better than the eight hours I'll spend writing code the next day at work. But hmm. we're not rewarded for what we create. We're not rewarded for innovation or ideas. We're rewarded for the number of hours that we spend sitting here at our desk and sitting in meetings. And that's how we're evaluated. Are we the kind of people that show up and spend a long time at work? If so, we, we get rewarded, we get raises, we get promotions, we get uh, to keep our jobs when other people get laid off. But I could have two hours of genius at three in the morning and that doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I still need to come in the next day. Some companies claim to do that. You know, Some yeah. companies, like I think Netflix in particular – supposedly they claim to do that where the uh, i've heard it said that it doesn't matter how many hours you're here as long as the stuff gets done Mm -hmm. i can't really speak to that but i I mean i think one reality in something like say a medium-sized company or a school is that you have to you have to have you assign work that is scalable and manageable Mm -hmm. and quantifiable which makes sense. Like if you're a teacher and you got 26 kids in the class, like you have to have something that you're going to be able to, you know, it's clear enough for somebody to understand that you know how to grade, right? And it has to be something that isn't so creative that like it puts all these different standards in place mm-hmm. for like what, like, oh, were you creative enough with this? I mean, I'm, this is, I don't mean this as a criticism. I think it's just a reality. And I think it's very true in the workplace because this is a show about work. Um, <laughs> Is that is that people will tend to assign work that they can manage and quantify unless other conditions exist. And something like, were you here on time and did you file your TPS cover sheets correctly right. is something that is quantifiable and manageable. Don't you think that's kind of part of it? I definitely do. I mean, how, how else are you supposed to measure, like you said, 26 students? Like, you can't spend an hour with each one of them. You can't. You just can't. You can't. And there's always going to be an imbalance of like, there's, you know, I've, I've seen this, like there's some kids that require a lot of attention for a variety of different reasons. There are other kids that would love to get more attention. There are other kids that will do anything not to get noticed. And you've got to <laughs> come up with some kind of assignment that you can grade in your, in your vast amount of free time at home. Right. Cause I mean, let's be honest, these, these teachers are like, the amount of hours that they work compared to what they're paid for is is ludicrous. But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the, the truth is that you definitely get this. I think kindergarten and first grade, that at least in the early stages of school, it's about socialization and learning how to get along with people, follow rules, and stand in line. Sure. So I mean that all that all makes sense. I don't know. These are crazy years, though. This is also the very beginning. We'll get off this in a minute, but it's also it's also I feel like this is true, well and truly, the beginning of starting to see physical, mental, emotional differentiation. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot more profound in fifth and sixth grade, but you know my my daughter is taller than the brother of her friend who's in f- sixth grade. Right. There are other, there are, there are boys in this class that are already shooting up. There's girls that are getting woman parts, right? Like it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. like, and, but there's some kids who still, they, you, they could be mistaken for first graders. But I think that right. only gets, that's just the physical stuff that you can see when you see a group of kids. But, um, I think that only becomes more dramatic in, in middle school. I have to guess. I'm glad, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad he aced the, uh, the, the Baghdad battery. Yeah. I think it's good. I think the project is going to be, uh, it's going to be good. 
Did um, did you find ways to get them out of the house in the last four days? Well, no, uh, kind of. I, I, str- I, I struggle with that because on on top of it, my little girl was sick with something, so she actually like got sick Saturday, and her fever was there until like, like she woke up fine today. But they, Friday, oh, basically Friday, she was coming down with it. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, hundred and one, hundred and two. So we just kind of hung out, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. But you get a certain kind of torpor, yes. or like or like lethargy, mm-hmm. inertia, mm-hmm. or like once we once we've like mainlined, you know, four episodes of I Claudius, you know, nobody wants to leave the house. It's, it's like wow. very true. So she made things out of boxes. That was really fun. But uh, now I'm glad school's back in. Um, I have a couple things to promote. I have some feedback from listeners. We had really good feedback this week, I have to say. Got good feedback from listeners. But is there any chance that you would want to tell me about something that you like? I would love to tell you all about LinkedIn Learning. LinkedIn Learning. You probably heard of lynda.com. All of their content, all the amazing stuff that Linda has been doing for all the years, past 20 years is now LinkedIn Learning. It's, uh, this, is, this is a great thing uh, because whether you run your own business, if you do freelance, or if you're, you know, you're at one of those corporate stooge jobs and you want to learn something and they're not helping, which can happen, or if you just want to better yourself, this is a great way to get started to do this uh, because people like us, we're very, I think you would agree, Merlin, and we're very curious people and our listeners are very curious, curious human beings. Mm-hmm. And... One of the ways that I like to learn is through screencasts. I actually uh, actually learned a lot of what I know about podcast editing by taking you know watching screencasts at Linda about how to use logic. You know that's a wonderful way to learn. And what's nice about something like that is you get to watch a professional, watch an expert teach you not just okay go to the file menu, but like they're teaching you what they know they're teaching you concepts and they're translating it into uh, a course that really makes sense. That's going to allow you to jump in and learn one specific aspect of a skill or watch it from beginning to end. That's the part that I really like about it. You may have an hour, two hours to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to learn like final cut pro or QuickBooks or whatever it is front to back. Like I want to learn and master this whole thing. I'm going to take these three courses and watch them all. Or you may be kind of okay with it and say, you know what? I just want to know how to do this one thing. I can't figure out how to do this one thing. You can jump into a course and watch just that five minutes and you'll come away from it saying, all right, that answered the question. Instead of spending an hour Googling and watching crappy YouTube videos from people who don't know what they're doing, be taught by an expert. And uh, they have project files you can download to work along with the videos. You've got quizzes that help validate your learning. Learn at your own pace. And what's really cool about it is with LinkedIn Learning, you get access to all of the courses you want, every single thing that they do for one price. So it's not like you have to go and say, oh, today I want to learn how to write some Python. And tomorrow I need to figure out how to do QuickBooks. And then I want to learn how to use Google AdWords all things a business owner would want to do, all things a freelancer might want to do, you don't have to buy these things separately. One flat rate, watch them on your computer, your tablet, whatever you got, your phone. They have a 30-day free trial for our listeners. It's linkedin.com slash back to work. Simple URL, linkedin.com slash back to work. Go check it out. 30-day free trial and you'll be supporting the show. So thanks very much to LinkedIn Learning. Bok, bok. Um, I, I got a funny angle on this because I, I, I don't know exactly 
when I feel like I learned this, but I've always said, and I really do believe the one nice thing about any education, but especially a liberal arts education is the idea that you learn how to learn, you learn how to find things. I think one of the most, my wife is right in the middle. One reason I was telling you, she has a crazy week because she has this huge annual project due this week and she was feeling kind of stressed out about it. And I, I was like, yeah, that, it does suck. Like you've got to do this right. stuff with Like you got to put all this stuff from like, like <laughs> from like documents into a spreadsheet, which is like no fun and you can't get it wrong and all this stuff. And trying to console her a little bit, I encouraged her. I was like, Hey, you know, if you want to go in today, that's no problem. I can hang out with our daughter. Right. I said, I feel like one of the things that stresses me out the most in a situation like that is one source of stress when you feel overwhelmed is that you don't even really know how much you have to do that like it's one thing to say like okay i have a giant pile of as david allen would say i got a giant pile of widgets that need to be cranked you don't even know how many widgets are out there or whether they're widgets right you don't even have a sense of the landscape so i feel i always feel like with your anytime you're going into an area that feels risky and big it helps to have a map of like how big this territory is so like if you're going to read a book if you're thinking about buying a book in what they call a bookstore you can always look at the table of contents. You can always look at the index. You could just flip through the, right? There's a way without having to read an entire book, there's a way to figure out whether there's something that's for you in this. And I think one thing you could do if you're thinking about making a change or learning some new things, you should go to the LinkedIn learning site and you could just go see like, what is the offering here? Because part of it is when you're trying to learn a new skill, you may not even know what the landscape is. There's not a button you click to say, learn coding somewhere. <laughs> There's a lot to learn about like with the landscape, what, where, what you can't even know how to ask the right questions. So right. go visit this website, see what's out there. See if any of it uh, tickles your learning bone that they can just use that. Um, and, uh, I think that's a good way to, to situate yourself as somebody who's going to be a lifelong learner is be open to the idea that like, you don't have to learn everything to learn what you, what it is you would like to learn. Very nice. Thank you. Baghdad battery. I have two quick things to promote. Uh, this podcast will, I think theoretically come out before this. Um, John Roderick and I will be at SF Sketchfest tonight. You can go to sfsketchfest.com or check out show notes for this episode. If you're in town, if you're at Sketchfest or you're just somewhere in the vicinity, if you'd like to see John Roderick and me do our program live, uh, you can come out tonight to the Gateway Theater, 215 Jackson Street, uh, 8 p.m. to 9.30. We will be uh, performing a live uh, show of Roderick on the Line, and, and tickets for that are still available. You can find that in show notes or go to sfsketchfest.com. That's awesome. John does like six podcasts now. It's really overwhelming. No, I know. He's, he's more he's, of a podcaster than us. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's like a new one every week. It's kind of overwhelming. I know. I think he's going to get busy. I think he's all in, but I think he it, too all too much all in. Too all in. Is that a thing? Is that a thing people do? Oh, I've been too all in. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Although that's the thing. <laughs> you don't realize you're too all in until you're all in. Yeah. And you go ah. You know, like I feel like for him, he had the one podcast for a long time. And then he added a second and then something happened and there was a snowball and now mm-hmm. he's got six, maybe there's eight. And the, the freakish thing is he's got like dozens of them already pre-recorded. Yes. Well, he's on one of his shows. He's on kind of a big shot uh, network that's like real official. Oh, yeah, so I know. Do stuff like that. Yeah, there. Yeah. But I mean, this is a nice thing. This is one thing I enjoy about my job such as it is right now is that like I think it's fun to do a similar kind of thing but do different versions of that similar kind of thing. It's one thing that makes having multiple jobs when you're young so 
exhausting is you've got to go and be at different places doing different kinds of things at different times yeah. to be able to, to sort of, I hate to use that term again, but to scale up to where you're doing a similar sort of thing, even physically, but then on different topics or on different, for different audiences. I mean, I think that's, I think that's kind of a neat idea to get like a specialty in development where you can work on these certain kinds of projects and develop expertise in that area is, uh, it's not a bad thing. So good for John. Yeah, I'm excited for him, and, and the shows are good. That's the other thing. We, we should mention that. I don't know if you've listened to them, uh, but they're good. All I know is I had to sit there in my kitchen and explain to John Roderick what a website was and why he might want one. So you're welcome, John. <laughs> uh, Two years later, I would, eight years later, I would answer, what is a podcast and why would I want one? Yeah. Um, that is tonight. SF Sketchfest, Roderick on the line. Very good. I wish I, I could be there. People. I wish I could be there for that. I'm going to be there in, in town next week. Oh, that's exciting. And uh, and I wish you were... Do- Could you do next week instead? Yes. All right. You're going to be at FailConf. Is that right? No. Are you I, for FailConf? No, I don't you know talk what about that... the failures in your life? Is that this one? I, I mean, I'll probably talk about that, but it's just a, it's a meetup that uh, the company is called Doximity, and they, have, they host um, a meetup for nerds every, I guess, every month. And the, this one that's happening is on the 23rd. I'll even put a link in it. Do it. Put it in the show notes. There's a guy who. Now, this isn't a front for you to launder money for uh, Russian oligarchs. God, I wish. I wish it was. I know. Wouldn't that be nice to put your name out the Benjamin Tower? Ugh. Wouldn't that be nice? I would no, like the, the Benjamin building. That has lost. Like, listen, if you need launder, <laughs> laundering. Uh, you know, I'm watching a movie called American Made. Have you ever heard of that? American no, Made. No. It's got uh, it's got your buddy uh, Tom, Tommy Cruise. Mm-hmm. And he's like a um, oh, I saw that with the airplane movie. Yeah, he's dry, flying an airplane around, and sometimes he works for the CIA, and sometimes he's like smuggling guns and drugs for the Contras. It's very interesting. Does he get, and does it, he get too all in? He's a little too all in. It is a mm-hmm. it is a true story, apparently, which makes it more interesting. I mean, Tom Cruise didn't actually do this, but oh, it's a based see, on someone's life, right? They should have like a foreword when they say it's a true story, and Tom Cruise walks out. I feel like th- he's just reenacting his own life, but it's not. Are there the, any true stories, really? <laughs> What is you know truth? What, what is truth? The Benjamin Building. I would like that. I would go to the Benjamin Building. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is just very quickly, I want to mention to people, Thursday night, Ungainly X-Man Meetup, number 20. I have a very full week, and I'll be taking mini naps. Um, uh, Thursday night, uh, Ungainly X-Man Meetup, number 220XX, <laughs> is at uh, is at Two Cats Comics, 320 West Portal Avenue in San Francisco. You come out, you hang out with some nerds. It's really nice. Boy, talk about needing to lie down. Well, plus I got the, I got it, I got it too. The podcasts and the, and the pickups and whatnot, you know, and you know, you got, you got to do stuff around the house. I got to put toilet paper in the bathroom. It's, it's a whole lot to do. Also, I'm trying to take out the compost every night now. And boy, that's a lot of extra steps. I can only mm. imagine what, what it's like to have that compost weighing on you all the time. It's very heavy. No question <laughs> about it. Uh-huh. Uh, if people were inclined and you are, are uh, under the advice of counsel, if you're allowed to say, where would people find Shannon's for episode 359 of your Back to Work program? Uh, they can go to 5by5.tv slash B as in brothers, 2 is in the number, W is in walrus slash 359. 359. Nine, nine times. times. There's, a, there's a movie that holds up, I think, really well. Yeah. It mostly holds up real well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. Um, some some 80s movies are, as they say, problematic when you go back and watch them. So, most of them, I think. Most most of them, yeah. Yeah. 
It would lead you to believe that there were a lot more naked boobs in the eighties than there actually were. I know. I, mean, if, if, I don't if think Martians I saw came down and watched that eighty in the eighties. I don't. For the bulk of the eighties, I didn't see any boobs in person mm-hmm. till the very, very tail end of the eighties. Oh, that's when they were first uh, introduced in the wild. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all about the butts. People love butts now. It's like a whole thing. Oh yeah. Yes, that's what people like. You're right. Yeah, they can't deny. Benjamin building. <laughs> I have uh, I have a real mixed sack today of wow. things. I decided that the three things I learned this week is too many things. So I'm just going to give you one thing this week, and uh, we could do that, or we could do some uh, some very good listener feedback. I want to hear the one thing that you learned because I learned about a Baghdad battery. Oh yeah, and that's in notes. Um, and this is just a small thing. I was reading up on the Dunning Kruger effect, which I always spell wrong, even though I think I'm spelling it right. I learned a great new term. This is from the Internet Science site. Ultra crepidarianism. Ultra crepidarianism. Okay. Ultra crepidarianism is the habit of giving opinions and advice on matters outside of one's knowledge. That's uh, that's what we do. I know. <laughs> that's that's the true name of the show, I think. Uh-huh. Wow. Isn't that a great word though? Yes. When's the last time you learned a really good long word? You know? Oh my god. I mean, I feel like I learned most of the good long words in elementary school, junior high, yeah. and eventually kind of in college. But like everybody learns anti-establishmentarianism, right? You yeah. learn stuff like dodecahedron. <laughs> you learn lots of really good tetrahydrosoline, you know, the stuff that's in eye drops. Don't put that in somebody's No, what is – I don't know that. I don't know a lot of Tetrahydrosoline? Tetrahydrosoline? That's what you get in eye drops. Tetrahydrosoline. Eye drops? Yes. I think it's the active ingredient in uh, those drops they used to advertise on TV. Tetrahydrosoline. So tetra is a, is a five, a penta. Tetra, tetra's got to be six. Tetra, high. Oh gosh, it doesn't even really figure. Tetrahydrosoline. Alpha, oh, of course. Uh, now I remember. It's an alpha agonist. Mm-hmm. What? It's found in eye drops and nasal sprays, tetrahydrosoline. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought tetra mm-hmm. was four. Yeah, is that, I think that's probably right. Tetra. Let's learn about tetra. Tetris, so tetra is probably Tetris. Greek. I'm guessing tetra is Greek and quad is Latin. Does that make sense? Oh, tetra is also a kind of fish. Is it a Greek fish? A ne- neon tetra. Neon tetra. I have tetra. a Congo tetras in my tank at home. Con- Congo tetras? Congo tetras. They're beautiful. Oh, you're talking about the fish. The fishy. Okay. All right. I thought you were talking about the kind of uh, native music tetra. Okay, got that. Got that. That's that's uh, that's the quick one for this week. I just thought that was a really good term because I, I do that. Tell you what, I just want to I just want to throw this out there since we're on this subject now. Go go. If you're thinking about doing a fish tank at home, a, a freshwater fish tank, I I cannot recommend a fish more highly than Congo tetras. Congo tetras. Let's they are Congo pretty tetra. hardy. They're big, beautiful fish. They, they don't, oh, that's a beautiful fish. It's kind of multi. It's kind of got a an ombre. It's got a beautiful coloring. Yeah, the the males have beautiful long fins, and they um they display sort of a, a uh, against each other, sort of competing for the attention of the of the female. So they will two of them will sort of go swimming side by side one another back and forth across the tank in a little mock battle that they do for the attention of the female. It's very, very pretty. They're beautiful fish, and you can you need a group of them, so you need a bigger tank. Like I wouldn't put them in less than a twenty nine gallon. I don't think 
Uh, they grow to oh, be that's like, three that's like two inches. frat boys in a bathroom stall. You just don't want to do it. Yeah, but then you can get about 10 of them, and, I, and you only need one or two females for the males to all display that way and it's uh Chimney. they're great great fish great fish they're super but it's consensual dumb. right they're not like pickup artists no they they don't mate with the females because they're the conditions in a, a home aquarium are wrong so they won't never mate anyway what would you need to do to get your fish boning down what would you need to change hello would you, what? Would you need to have if, if, if they were if if they were going to get super nasty what would you need to do to create oh, the kind of environment where tetras would i get see i I don't know, but I think it has to do with temperature and other things that have Probably to be candles. Maybe candles or <laughs> scent, kind of oils. scented candle or scented candle, uh-huh. scented fish candle. Uh-huh. Yeah, how do you how do you get a fish in the mood? I don't know the answer to this. The, now the angel fish that I had, they're in the mood just by a male and a female being in a tank together, and they mm, they will then kill all of your other white. fish. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, tetra. Gonna add it to notes. Congo. Congo, Congo. Tetra. Oh, Phenacogrammus interruptus. <laughs> That's a good one. Look at these huh. guys. That, yeah, and these pictures are very, very accurate. I they're mean, kinda, this they're is kind of clear on their fin parts. Yeah, and then they have a pretty like fishy rainbow pattern. But they're it. You get a. They don't chase each other or fight each other, which some fisher want to do. They are. It's a chill tank, but they're beautiful. Beautiful. God, I can't recommend these things enough. That's good to know. See, this is this is what I was talking about with the learning stuff. You know, you want to give somebody something. See, see, Knowledge. here's the thing that happens. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't like to complain. You know that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, there's a thing that happens. Like, and this, you see this like on like, on the incomparable shows where they'll do like a draft. They just did a draft of like best TV theme songs, and everybody goes around and picks their favorite. And then once that one's picked, nobody else can pick it, and you go around. And then of course, then you get a week of people going, "You forgot this," or. <laughs> You forgot that. Or somebody says to me, like, oh, which which uh, comic of this thing should I start with? And I give a very specific example. A common one with me is, okay, you've talked about Doctor Who. Which Doctor Who should I start with? And I always say the 11th hour. And everybody says, mm, actually, I would start with the – and I say, well, you know, that's because you're not me. And and if you if somebody wants to get into something, you have to give them exactly one thing. Don't tell people five things. Don't tell them five episodes from five different eras of Doctor Who. That's not how anybody starts with anything. You have to be the Sherpa. You have to be the person who says, you have to be Tenzing Norgay, and you have to say, look, uh, I'm going to suggest an episode that I think is very good, that I think is a good place to start in terms of story, but it's also going to be one that gives you a good feeling of whether or not this might be for you. You can't tell people to watch five things. And don't, don't complain about drafts. That's just unsavory. Don't do that. You know me. I don't like to complain. No, I know you don't. It's not it your bag. Me. Because of because of my Buddhist practice, it mm-hmm. hurts me to complain. Mm-hmm. Physically because unable phys- to do physical, that. physical 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 un- unable to. <clears throat> Maybe we should proceed to some um, feedback from our, our listeners. We got a lot. I'm curious to find out what you are thinking about doing. Let's see. I've got four. Okay. here that could go kind of long i don't want to go too long because i don't know how much more there is to say about it All right. uh but this is the kind of feedback i love where somebody says okay there's the kind of feedback where people go i like the kind of feedback where people go oh you almost got this right let me help correct that and so you know what it is you're actually talking about that's a great kind of feedback another kind of feedback that i adore just because i'm broken inside and very brittle is the kind where people say yes that was right on and here's an example from a completely unrelated thing uh-huh listener rory writes in with regards to swords and safety uh, we were talking about the uh, the horse to do thing of like sh- you know does the does does the oh god how do I phrase this 
should not wearing a helmet keep you from riding a bike? I guess. Because of risk aversion. Listener Rory says, uh, basically a positive reaction to the miracle of recognition. Uh, Merlin brought up the idea of risk compensation. My German longsword coach, God, I wish I could use that phrase day to day. My German longsword coach gave our class a couple of talks on that idea about a year ago when more of us were able to buy steel helmets and tournament-grade jackets. He was warning us not to take more risks just because we felt better protection. So, yeah, it's totally a thing. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So I think that it probably applies for lots of, lots of different things, like, you know, abundance of caution. Like, if you're going to, like, uh, yeah, yeah, there's times when it really makes sense to be a little bit apprehensive, as, a, as, a, as a, a Christina Aguilera says. I thought it was an interesting is that note. What I think it applies for is lots that of things. What she says she one time said that she was apprehensive about something, <laughs> and I think that's a perfectly cromulent word. <laughs> Dan, do me a favor. Would you tell me about something you like? I would like to tell you about Simple Contacts. It is a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription. It's not about contact like a contact book. It's no. It's not simple. Con- it sounds like an app. Simple is contacts. It, it's not like a contact where you run into somebody. Not that kind of contact. Mm. It's the eye kind. Hmm. This is what's special about them. You, you, you probably you wear con- you wear contacts, right? Like almost everybody I know wears them and loves them. Yes, I know. My wife wears them. It just seems like I remember my grandfather having to sit there with his hard contact lenses and touch his eyeball, and it completely freaked me out forever. Yeah, my do I need aunt to reboot the- my idea of how contacts could fit into my life? Is that a thing I should do? I think so because my aunt had the glass contacts too. But they're not, did you know that they're not glass anymore? Well, and I don't think you really have to touch your eye very much. My Dan, wife, I think it has to be glass to be a lens. That's what makes it a lens. It's right there on the tin lens. <laughs> I remember I was three years old and I had a Grover stuffed animal and I was spinning it around while my aunt was playing with me. I was you know, whipping it around because you'd hold it by its long arm and yeah, whip, were, whipping the Grover, whipping the Grover. And, um, and uh, my aunt was like, oh, no, no, don't, don't whip it near my eyes. I have contacts in. <laughs> Danny! And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, they're glass. And so I was <laughs> horrified of contact lenses ever since then. But uh, basically, everybody has their own favorite brand We're of contacts. We're also scarred by the contacts That's of the right. 70s. Ugh. They're, not, they're not glass anymore. That's and so good to <laughs> Maybe they still make the glass ones. Maybe you can still get them. But most people it's have... It's probably like a, like a Portland thing. <laughs> you could bespoke glass lenses Right, for it's like eyes. back to basics, you know? No, I actually have a monocle. I've only got one over here. Oh, my God. So th- everyone has their own favorite like brand. Like if you, if you were to ask a person who wears contacts what kind you wear, they would tell you the like brand of it. And that apparently that matters. Well... A lot of these things that like you order them online, it's like some generic brand. This is not, I just want to say, this is not the way Simple Contacts works. You can get your brand, the brand that you like, the one that you've been using. And here's how it works. If you, if you don't need to renew your prescription, you've got everything set up, you're ready to go, you just send that to them. But if you need to renew it, they actually have a vision test that you can take on your phone, on your computer. It gets reviewed by a licensed eye doctor. And then you receive a renewed one-year prescription and you can reorder your contacts all at once. But if you've got an unexpired prescription, then you just upload a photo of it or your doctor's information. They'll call your doc. They'll handle it. That's Talk crazy. about AI. They mm. handle it. So it's super convenient. It's super fast. That if, even if you have to do the vision test, it's self-guided. It takes less than five minutes. You don't have to go to like a doctor's office, anything like that. Uh, I mean, now they want me to say 
this is not a replacement for like getting your eyes checked for health. I haven't supposed to say that. Mm-mm. This is just for like, Mm-mm. has your vision changed? But you get all the brands of lenses that you like. You even have options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored contacts. Because you want you want the red eyes like a demon. You can be you can keep your red eyes. You can do whatever you want to do. You want blue eyes? You can have blue eyes. I don't care. It's mm-hmm. your choice. But they have great customer support. They do text updates on your order, and you can even ask uh, questions or reorder over text anytime you want. And here's the deal: the vision test is only twenty bucks instead of whatever, 200, whatever it would be going to a regular eye doctor. And their contact lens prices are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. And we have, of course, we have a promotion. Uh, it's $30 off your contacts by going to simplecontacts.com slash back to work. Or you can just enter the code back to work at checkout. Either way, you're going to get 30 bucks off. Uh, so go check them out, simplecontacts.com slash back to work. And remember, you still need your own periodic full eye health exam deal but if you need your contacts is a place to go so thanks very much to simple contacts for making this show possible thanks simple contacts buck buck listener uh, terrence writes in because uh, we were talking about uh having worked in kitchens and restaurants i thought this was super interesting uh listener terrence uh, about the evolution of working in a kitchen uh, i want to drop a note to say the restaurant industry is actually making some incremental progress in terms of being a decent place to work says listener terrence i know both of you speak from experience when you talk about working in restaurant kitchens and exaggerate a bit for comedy reasons that's the thing we do we do we exaggerate for comedy believe me growing up in a resort town i had the same kinds of harrowing experiences myself i just thought it was worth pointing out that in the decade i spent cooking in fine dining restaurants i have worked with a lot of very smart competent people from all walks of life and that most of the kitchens i've worked in are quiet serious places where people try to be a bit better each day sounds industry like has boring doesn't it sure does all those knives no thank you now just silence and, whole, and people staring at you Ugh. yeah yeah and you might be a rat in there mm. doesn't that seem a little bit implausible mm-hmm. anton ego would turn around that quick mm-hmm. about rats mm-hmm. doesn't that seem implausible you know what i'm saying he finds out the, the, there's rats in the kitchen and then he's into it. Doesn't that seem weird? I, it seems it seems like it would be a huge leap of. I mean, it, it, it's a career-ending decision to decide that a restaurant run by rats is going to be a good thing. I don't Plus, care how even, good of a cook France, the rat is; it's not clean. Yes, it's not. I mean, no matter how hard a rat washes, you still don't want to touch in your ratatouille. I don't want it anywhere it's a near my dish. food. Uh, industry as a whole has undergone a dramatic shift in the time I've been working in it. That's an interesting note to adopt some of the standards of treatment and quality of life that are admittedly table stakes for most other sectors. Well put. Thank you to listener Terrence for that. That's nice to hear, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different perspective, I think, than what we saw, but you yeah, know, we're talking with me. We're talking about 34 years ago hmm. was when I was working at, you know, a locally owned steakhouse where everyone had had a lot of cocaine. And I, I imagine things have changed a lot since then. That, well, hopefully they have. But I, I also think that there are kitchens where people are super serious that they're treating it like a craft, that they're, you know, they're where you have chefs and sous chefs and, and you know, and then there's sort of like the, the local steakhouse, which I think is a bit, a bit different. It, it depends so much. This is a cop out, but it depends so much on leadership. You know, this is something we've talked about so many times on here with any kind of workplace is that in some, I, at least I've, and again, you know, I uh, suffer from ultra crepidarianism. So take this with a, with a grain of sea salt. But I, I feel like there is a leadership component to this, which is that so much of our workplace is defined by what's tolerated 
more than what's on the posters, as we said before. A lot of what happens in a workplace and the feeling that people get, even or especially the least vocal people, like what they have to deal with is like what's tolerated. And so like if you're in a kitchen brigade, as they say, and the leadership encourages, demands, and models a certain kind of maturity, balance, and calmness, well, that's sure – that's not a bad start. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Leadership. We should do webinars. Let's do a webinar. We'd be so rich. Now, what are we doing um, this for when we could be you know, doing the, the webinars? <laughs> Just don't do it with the golfers. Uh, we got uh, glucocorticoids and echo drop-in for relatives. Yes, that was a fascinating, fascinating email. I have unilaterally decided to withhold this person's name because this is a very private um, thing that they're saying. And I, I, I just thought this was really good. We had talked about – we're talking about the Amazon family of products, the ladies in tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the privacy concerns. And I was saying in particular that I thought drop-in was kind of silly, the drop-in feature. And, and creepy, a little creepy. Yes. Yes. Um, but listener name withheld had a nice note. Hey guys, I know you got a ton. Uh, okay. Hey guys, this is so nice that they would say this. I know you've got a ton, uh, more important stuff to talk about. This is probably already an old topic. Sorry. No, it's not an old topic. Name withheld. Thank you. Um, but I wanted to say that I have an Echo Show for my wife, and I use an Echo Spot on my bedside table. Hmm, this makes me so sad. Uh, we live in separate locations. My wife has pretty aggressive MS and is in a nursing home at 40. It's its own unique hell. Oh, God. The show is great for her. It gives her voice control over her room lamp and then allows me to drop in on her from my spot on the nights I don't visit her. I hate that it's not more secure. The only internet access she has is over their open Wi-Fi. I know it's insane, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she has trouble with fine muscle control. So obviously being able to do all these things with her voice and not having to do anything to answer a video call from me is a huge help. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That is a terrific use case, I thought, and a, uh, quite a story. I mean, that's a kind of use case that doesn't jump to my mind when I think about who would want it. I'm more thinking like, I don't know, grandparents and grandkids or something. But this is sure. an example of what really, really makes sense for that, you know, and probably the people who were involved in designing it probably worth thinking about something like that, I would think. Yeah. I really feel like when I was uh, doing web design and very lightweight development, um, so much, like, like with so many people, thank goodness, so much of my world changed when I read Zelman's book, originally the orange book, um, because what he described in terms of separating your your kind of styling layer from your structural layer, like doing, doing compliant, you know, XHTML and then having CSS that's really sane and so much great stuff about how to name this stuff sanely, but also that like you get so many benefits out of having good HTML that now there's so much stuff we wouldn't be able to, Ajax would not be a thing if we didn't get good at naming our CSS uh, components, right? right? Right. But also the fact of having checking your code, making sure that it validates. It's not just that it's it's good for some kind of arbitrary Dave Weiner reason, but it also means that your site is now much more accessible. And to paraphrase Jeffrey Zeldman, accessibility is good for everyone. There's not anybody that accessibility harms. Because everybody, I mean, we all need things to be accessible. And even if we don't need it right this second, we will eventually. The ability to read tiny print, it's, it's not something that older people like um, catch as a cold to not be able to read that. It's that you're in a very small f- 
25 to 40 year period in your life where you can read tiny text. Guess what? The rest of the world can't. Making that stuff easy to localize, making that stuff easy to put on, a, I guess, I don't know what they use now. It used to be a JAWS reader. You know, that's good for everybody. So I think it's nice to hear a story like this without needing some kind of third party mm-hmm. specialty device for doing this that could be very costly and poorly made. This is, this is something you can get for, you know, less than a hundred bucks and have in your house and it could add a lot of benefit. I thought that was a nice story. So thank, thank you to li- listener name withheld name for, withheld. and, and, and Good luck with that journey that you're on. Um, you sound like a good good guy, and I, I wish the best for you and your lady. You know, that's a whole aspect of home automation in general that I think we we think about it as, wouldn't it be cool if you could like walk into the room and say, like, lights on and lights go on? But there are people who, that's the only way they could turn the lights on. Yeah, for sure. You, know? you think about when you, we first started hearing about Bill Gates' house. Mm, oh, right, the, right. The paintings change depending on who's there and all this stuff, and you just roll your eyes. But the, the other funny corollary of that is that we, um, as I've said, I think probably numerous times on here before, we, you know, we're a Hue family, and the usability of Hue products, Hue lights in particular, uh, changed by at least an order of magnitude when we got this thing called the tap switch, which is a thing that you can use like a regular light switch with actually up to like four different settings on it to be able to say that can, when I click this button, do this to the hallway. Or when I click this off button, turn off the lights in all of these rooms. So that w- w- that's where this went from being a hobbyist thing to like a useful thing that my family now uses. But then, you know, like a funny thing happens. I don't know why this happens, but sometimes for reasons I'm not clear about, the tap switch loses its mojo and it just isn't working. And the one by my, on my, um, I have one on my night table that I use for controlling the lights in the room. And uh, for some reason, uh, yesterday it stopped working (laughs) and it felt so crazy. I am so habituated to using this thing now that when it didn't work, I was really, really surprised. And then, of course, I went and I tested other ones. And does this work? Is the cable out? Is like, what's what's wrong with this? But I mean, I think I think it's really for myself and my family. It's really dramatic how we've turned that corner to where this doesn't feel like a weird Jetsons thing anymore. Just this just feels like an improved life. Like if it's time to watch TV at night, I hit, you know, uh, button number three. And that makes a kind of like a, a golden, very dim light in the room where I watch TV. I don't even think about that anymore. And if I ever want to change it for some reason, I can. But like, I don't know. I think it's kind of an exciting future. Not for everybody, but 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 pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm still excited about the potential for a good, real good artificial intelligence assistant. That's what I'm. Uh, we will see that in our lifetime. Absolutely, 100 mm-hmm. percent convinced that we'll not just when we're like on our deathbeds, but we'll be able to have those and use them in our daily life when, when it still counts. Yeah. It's such an interesting topic that I feel like I'm, I'm still so much playing catch up on, but, um, as usual, CGP gray did a really good video about AI that was very informative for me where he describes basically, uh, I'll blow this, but I'll find it for notes when you tell me about something you like, but basically Gray's describing how to create an AI. It's almost a little bit like evolution, we're like, I was trying to explain my very basic understanding of evolution, that evolution is not a, a, a big hand that comes down and makes giraffes necks long. It's really more like there's, you know, 10 million random walks and these genes end up getting passed on. And it's just basically a series of, of slow motion coincidences that cause evolution to happen at all. But similarly, it just seems like the way you train an AI 
is ultimately so well, obviously if it's Facebook, they're not going to tell us how their you know logarithm or their um, algorithms work. Right. But the, the, there is kind of a black box. This is the scary part of AI is there is this black box component where it learns you tell it what success looks like, I guess, and then you just keep creating a series of new AIs based on which ones get it better. It becomes like evolution. Right. And, and I think that's that's partly what you know what scares a, real, a lot of really smart people is that we're happy to benefit. When it does something like say what like who's likely to com- create a commit a crime I guess or like what's the risk of this or what's good to invest in but it's hard if we can't see inside the black box it's difficult to know how it's thinking and we don't re- I think it sounds like we don't really have a way to unravel how it made the decision that it did it's just that we know which ones it's maybe like breeding a dog over time you just know which one has the characteristics you want you keep pushing that way you can't see inside the dog to know how it made this particular pedigree breed that's that's the you know i think when it comes to people especially as parents we can talk about this you can you can see and understand i think in a lot of ways how your how your child is learning something and the importance of letting them try something and watching them do it incorrectly and then learn from their mistake that's how we i think i think that's how human beings learn we try something and if it works, we say that worked and I'll do it like that next time. And if it doesn't work, we say that didn't work. I wonder why that didn't work. I'll try it a different way. And mm-hmm. that that seems to be at the core of how we learn things. We can be shown something, but I find that it's easier to forget. And I'm watching my kids do this. It seems like if they're shown something and they, they of course, they'll remember it and then they can do it. But the the learning sticks better when they try to figure it out, mess it up, and figure it out the right way themselves. In other words, you know, if you don't first, you don't succeed. Try, try again. That seems to stick in the mind better. And I've often heard that as they're developing, you know, they're developing robots that can learn to essentially. They need to learn to walk, or they need to learn to pick something up, as opposed to having a human being write code that says <laughs> "walk this way" and it walks over and tears off the doorknob. Like that. <laughs> right, that it's better for them to to try to learn how to how to walk. You give them legs, you somehow tell them what they're supposed to do, and then you let them figure it out. That 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 kind of learning is is what's being pioneered in in artificial intelligence and i don't know i remember there was a game uh and it used to they eventually came out with this on it was like a little uh hockey puck looking thing that they had for a while and i think the goal was to like guess an animal or something like that tell me like 20 questions it was like 20 questions maybe it was 20 questions but the the computer program the little hockey puck toy that they came out with eventually would it, it, it was very 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 good at this kind of thing and it, and and the more that they said the more you played it the better it would get oh really the faster it would learn <laughs> and that always impressed me even though apparently that's a pretty simple thing to do behind the scenes but i i think that it doesn't seem to me like uh, the lady in the tube or my phone learns anything. Maybe it is. Maybe up in the in the bowels of Apple's data center, it's something is learning. But it doesn't seem to me 
like these assistants are getting better at understanding me or understanding the kinds of responses that I want. And I also don't feel like there's any way for me to give them input or direction on being better. Uh, for example, well, like with, with the lady in a tube, this is, I, I take your point. I think you're probably right. I mean, I think there's a couple parts to it because it's always two things with me. One is that you have the option. I don't know if this is hooked up to anything, but if you chose to, you could go into your lady in a tube history in the app. And for every, um, request you've made with your voice, you could say, is this what you meant to say? Like, did this do the thing that you wanted? And you can even listen back to what it captured. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's that thing where if you chose to, I guess, you could go in and like fix all the things that it got wrong, like where you meant something else. The second part, though, is I have to imagine, I have to imagine that that would, so then somebody like a person or a team is going to have to comb through all of those results in order to find some kind of patterns that would indicate how to evolve what happens next with the machine learning. It's the machine that will do the learning, but it's the people who have to they have to have the agency to say this is the kind of thing to learn. Very good point. Very good point. Um, but I'll give you an example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Amazon Echo can play Spotify stuff for you. So you could say to them, for example, um, you know, play Bruce Springsteen on Spotify, or you could give it a specific song, or you could give it maybe a playlist or an album that you wanted to, to, to play. And it's pretty good at that. But there are certain ones that it can never seem to get. And I'll tell you, there is, um, there, I think back in the late 90s, there was a, a series of albums that came out called Ultra Lounge. I don't know if you heard these, but they were great. And they had cool... Like Space Age, Bachelor Yeah, oh, yeah those are really cool stuff. And, um, and th- so there's one album, which is their Bossa Nova album, that's called Bossa Novaville. And in order to get Spotify to play it, you can't say play Bossa Novaville. You can't say play Ultra Lounge Bossa Nova. You can't say... You have to say play Ultra Lounge Bossa Novaville Volume 14. And hmm. that's fine. That's the official title. I get it. Okay. If you just say play Bossa Nova or Bossa Novaville on Spotify, it'll play some other crap that you don't want. So here's the thing. There's no way for me to tell it. And there's no way for it to know when Dan asks for Bossa Nova or Bossa Novaville, he means that. And that's the core. That's a very deep kind of comprehension, a very deep kind of understanding that a four-year-old would get right away, a three-year-old would get right away, but that our best computer systems don't be able to, at least the ones we get to interact with, they don't have that basic kind of comprehension, that kind of knowledge, the ability to understand what we mean when we say something. We are still, for the most part, conforming to them. We're conforming to how they want us to talk, how they want us to speak, how they want us to ask for things, because the technology to really understand us, I don't think is there yet. Right. Um, you know, if if I said to a, a four-year-old, five-year-old, um, you know, go go grab me that hat, the one I like, they would <laughs> know the one to get. Yeah. They would know. Because it's the one that I saw Dad in every they, other day. They wouldn't day grab this something week. that's not a hat, right? That you like, and they wouldn't, they grab, wouldn't the grab the hat I don't hat like. That you've like never worn, right? They know, uh, and they they might even say the red one or the blue one, you know, but or, or it whatever. Certainly would not fetch a cat. That's right, and and that's the the what we consider to be these incredibly fundamental basic 
concepts of understanding the world, those very, very fundamental basic things are completely missing in most cases from the kinds of intelligent assistance, so-called intelligent assistance, that we get to interact with. And I, I, I know this has got to be a tough problem to solve, otherwise it would already be solved, but I, I don't feel like any of this is getting any better. And then, and then I, I guess to try and compensate for this, and I don't want to go over this point too much because I've complained about it enough. But again, the other day, I'm getting out of the shower, getting ready to go to an appointment, and I want to know what time it is. So I ask my phone, hey, uh, what time is it? I just want an answer. I just want a straightforward answer. Oh, was it cute, Dan? Was I just, it cute? The time is 7.30 a.m. That's what I want. Or mm-hmm. it's 7.30 a.m. That's fine. That's all I want from it. Instead, you know what I get? Oh, Dan, at the, at the sound of the beep, it will be 7.30 a.m. And then there's a long pause, and then the thing actually doesn't make a beeping sound. It says, beep. Uh, it's so fun. cute. That's this is fun. exactly what I want when I'm in a hurry trying to just know what time it is. Just yeah. know what time it is. And my hands are wet because I just got out of the shower, and I don't want to, you know, just tell yeah. me what time it is. Don't play that. that. And you know why they do it? I'm absolutely convinced why they do it. Because they know that the AI sucks. They know that it sucks. And this is a subterfuge. It's a camouflage. It's, it's, a, it's throwing a it's a con- distraction, a yeah. confetti up in the air. <clears throat> and, and, and they're trying to make it seem like, oh, look how cool we look. It's really a smart thing. It plays jokes. I don't want that. I never want that. Give me what you can't give me. Comprehension, understanding, and the information I need. Yeah, nobody wants a brake pedal that's a comedian. Like when I hit this thing, stop the car. <laughs> I love that. It's, but it's, it's, it's really true. And, and I do take your point also. Cause like, as anybody who's listening to the show knows, there's a couple reminders, as I mentioned, how I use reminders and then I use them a lot with, with uh, the Siri product. Right. But it, and I, this, I'm not bitching, but this is an example. So it, it would seem that it, in my head, as somebody who's not a technologist, I'm a retired technologist, but it seems to me that if there were a certain kind of timer that I say, at least to my ear, that I say pretty much the same way, but that more importantly, I, I do at least once a day, or let's even say five times a week, five times a week, I say to my dingus, remind me to take out pasta in eight minutes. Um, and then it thinks a long time, but that's okay, whatever. But, but like in that example, like it gets take out pasta and this is not the end of the world, but this is just to, to show you what you're talking about, I think is true in terms of the, the slowness of perceived improvement of what you'd expect. So the thing is, it gets that I want to, that I say take out pasta around dinner time or lunchtime or whatever snack time. It gets that I say that and it gets it correctly maybe 80% of the time. Right. But the other whatever percent of the time, it is sometimes farcical. The one I get a lot is – I don't know what a post-in is. Post-in? But sometimes the reminder comes out, um, take a post-in. <laughs> what, what, wait, what is that supposed to be? Take out pasta. <laughs> so it'll even get the in – it'll even get the in eight minutes, <sighs> but it'll pop up and it'll say take a post-in. <laughs> take out pause two. Like mm. I'll get these things and, and then that's okay. Like I know what that means, but named reminders and name, name timers, especially on Amazon. This has been a huge thing. As I think I mentioned recently, this has become a huge thing in our house is the named, uh, timers on, uh, the echo products. 
But that's an example where like that, that's one where I feel I, like in my dumb like consumer gut, I go, well, you know, this is a thing you get right a lot of the time. It's something you know I do a lot. And like it seems like there should be some kind of snap to grid at some point where we go that, no, he probably means take out pasta. But, you know, it's not there yet. But like the other night, I made um, chicken parts, like uh, you know, roast roast chicken parts, and mm-hmm. I I've gotten real good at this, where I can say, "Hey, lady in a tube, remind me to flip the chicken and season it the first time in ten minutes. Remind me." Then I'll say the second one will be like, "Remind me to flip the chicken and season it a second time in twenty five minutes," and then you get all those kind of stacked up. Mm-hmm. And it works great. Like an astonishing amount of time it gets it Really? Right. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's it's really nice. I mean, having that in the kitchen is I think a kitchen in some ways is the perfect place for one of these things. Because it does factor into like a lot of, you know, like, oh, how old was John Hurt in nineteen seventy six? Those kinds of things. Right. And it's really good at that. Um but yeah, you're you're where were we going with this? Um the improvement stuff. Oh yeah, and just the machine learning stuff. I put that in show notes, the CGP CGP Gray video on machine learning. I, I agree with you. I mean, again, as a consumer and somebody who's not doing the nuts and bolts of the development, it, it, it is a little chilling to know what these things are capable of left to their own devices. Right. And the trouble is that like, it seems like part of what makes them special is that they're left to their own devices. Mm-hmm. Like it will find the fastest way through the maze one way or another. It will find the, you know what I mean? There, the, in, you know, it just, it, it sounds like the part that we haven't figured out yet is how to give it constraints. And I could be wrong, but my reckon is that we haven't figured out how to give it the kinds of constraints that say, like, only make good things for us. Like, don't be evil. <laughs> don't, don't turn into evil robot. Right. You know, like, I, I don't know what the medium term future of that is. I don't know either. I think there's, there's so much focus on being conversational or I don't, you know, and again, like, I don't think that I really care about that or that I really need that. I just need something that can answer the questions that I need for it to answer, schedule things, do things. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm overlooking what the potential is. I still think, I still think that there are tremendous time saving opportunities that seem really, really straightforward. And again, the example that I always use, and I'll always come back to it, because I think this is an example of the type of things that will really, really prove that AI has come a long way. And that is, if I could say to the lady in a tube, I'm, you know, it already knows I'm going to be in San Francisco next week. I could say, can you check with Merlin and see if he has any time for lunch sometime next week? And Mm -hmm. that, and, and, it could like interpolate and, like and, what the conditions will be at that time right. where you'll be. It knows my schedule. It knows when I'll be there. And it doesn't have to talk to you. It talks to your assistant. And your assistant checks for open times and things like that and then says to you, uh, Dan is going to be in town next week. Uh, he was wondering if you wanted to have lunch. You've got lunch open on Monday and Wednesday. And you could say, oh, that'd be great. How about Wednesday? And then that agent says to mine, um, Merlin's available on Wednesday. Mine says to me, Merlin can have lunch at Wednesday on 11. I say, great, um, find out if he wants to have sushi. In other words, or just book it at a sushi place or something like that. And it does mm-hmm. these things for you. Or it comes back and says, you guys both like sushi. 
I've booked you at a place that's near, you know, where he'll be at that time. Great. You know, something like that. Like (laughs) all of the data is there. It's there. We know that it's there. But yet the, the, because to me, that's an assistant. That's what an assistant does. It books stuff for you. It writes stuff down for you. It remembers things for you. It, it reminds you to do things. It knows enough about who you are and what you do and in that case, where you'll be to be able to draw conclusions about the task that actually needs to be accomplished That's rather right. than like what it knows how to do right this second. That's right. And you know like it it would know what restaurants we lo- what kind of food we like in common because it knows us. It knows what time we generally like to eat lunch. It knows what times we're going to be available. I mean, I'm pretty sure that with the data that's in Yelp and OpenTable and other things that that these systems which are all separate and never talk to each other would have a pretty good idea of the kinds of foods that I like to eat and what time of day I usually eat them. You know, uh, all of that data exists, but it's not being used in any good way. I've got really quotidian uh, examples from two uh, gig economy services that we use for food delivery, and they have different problems that end up happening repeatedly, and I'm not even sure how to address it. Yeah. But two of the places we use for food delivery, you know how it is. You've got a place you like to eat, and then one of these gig economy services will go and pick it up and bring it to you. Um, in one case, uh, there's a place that's uh, about a mile from our house, and it's a pretty straight shot to just come from that place to our house. Uh, it takes about seven minutes, eight minutes. But two out of five times that we that we order from this particular place and different people go every time and they i assume they're given a map like of like here's how's the fastest way to get to there two out of five times they basically pull a magellan and they go all the way out to the highway and come around and then go to another highway and Uh come around and it triples the amount of time it takes to get here which is kind of a factor when you got hot food and i'm not even sure like how to improve that or complain about that but like that seems weird like wouldn't you know like never take the highway if you're already in the neighborhood, just take two turns and you're at our house. But right. it doesn't. It, instead, it, it says go, you know, basically go around the, the Cape. Another one is a ride-sharing service that I use. I shouldn't say the second one is not food. It's ride-sharing. And, you know, I, I get the feeling that this is not a solved problem, that lots of people get this. But for some reason, if I get call this ride-sharing service for a ride from my office, it always tells the driver – even though the address is right there, it's right on this street, it always tells the driver to go on, to basically be up the nearest intersection about more than half a block and thinks that's where I'm supposed to be picked up. I don't know if I'm making any sense with this. Yeah. But you can imagine, like, there's, there's a place here. So, like, if I, if, I left, if I left my office and took a right turn and went more than halfway up a city block, that's where it's telling people... There's nothing even vaguely connecting to my office from there. But like th- the last three times I've done ride sharing for my office, it does that. And they get mad at me. And they're like, I don't know. And I was like, look, dude, I'm sorry. I, and I'll end up having to text the person. I'll see blinking lights way up the street. <laughs> and I'll text the person from inside the app and go, no, no, I'm down here at the corner of Dingle and Dingle. Come on back. But like I, th- those are like if we can't solve those problems yet, like, you know, how can we expect our robots to not kill us with forks? Right. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I, I remember in the, I'll wrap this up, but I, I, I also remember that back in the early days of 
I guess what we now call e-commerce. Mm-hmm. It was pretty hilarious sometimes what was going on behind the scenes. Famously, for example, with network solutions. Like if you wanted to do anything with your domain, yeah, they had a website, but then it always ended up phone calls and with phone calls and faxes. And there's all these different things you had, not even email. Like there was all this stuff. I transferred a domain last week and I think it generated 14 emails. It was crazy. Moving the domain from this one emails. place. Well, because there's you know authentication on both. I got to unlock the domain. I got to go to here. I got to approve that. Are you sure you still want to do this? You know, there's all that kind of stuff. But do you remember back in the day where like a lot of what felt like quote unquote e-commerce actually involved somebody sending a fax to somebody else? It was more like it was more like a Mechanical Turk, where like the a an order would get added to a pile, a person would deal with it, and then through their early Jurassic CMS would send something out to the consumer about what was happening with it. That's what e-commerce was in the 90s for most places. And sometimes it still kind of feels like that a little bit, where like if there's not somebody at the till or at the um, at the oar, like you cannot be sure that your boat is going to get where it needs to go. Another another place. Oh, never mind. I'm done complaining. But like sometimes like stuff just doesn't show up. And there's no customer service, so now I'm just complaining. But sometimes it is kind of maddening when, like, you've planned your family meal around this thing, and then an hour and a half later, no one's even responding to your emails about, hey, where's my food? (laughs) And a lot of times, like, there's been times where that's happened, and I'll call the actual restaurant, and they'll be like, oh, no, we're so sorry. Like, this company, like, really screwed up the order. It's not our fault. Do you want free egg rolls? And I'm like, I understand. Yes, please, free egg rolls. (sighs) Ah. Why don't you tell me you have one more thing uh, that you like this week? I would like to tell you about Bombfell. Bombfell. Bombfell, it is an easier way for men to get better clothes. That's, that's it. Because generally speaking, I, I think I speak for many guys, we don't really like clothes shopping, but we still want to look good. That's the thing. We want to look, we want to look amazing. We don't look good. We want to look amazing. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we don't feel like shopping around and doing all that stuff most of the time. So here's what you do. You complete a simple questionnaire and then you're matched with a, an actual human personal stylist uh, and they help you by picking out clothes that will make you look good and that will be affordable. They never charge above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns. You get home try on and you also get the ability to preview and edit what your personal stylist has picked before the order ships. And that's, I think, very important. This is all handpicked for you. It's fully personalized. It's not like, oh, we're sending everybody this shirt this month. It's not like that. Uh, They will email you their selections for you. You have 48 hours to look at it and say, you know what? That shirt sucks. Don't want it. But these other three are awesome. I really want them. And those jeans, perfect. Or you can just cancel everything altogether. You're in total control. You control what you get, what you don't get. You get the clothes. You then have seven days to decide, this is what I want to keep. This is what I don't want to keep. You send the rest back. And they have this philosophy, keep more, get more. So the more items you keep in your shipment, the better your percentage of of a discount is. So if you keep two items, you get 10% off. You keep three, you get 15. You keep four, you get 20% off. And you can also cancel this at any time. It's not like they're going to send it to you when you don't want it anymore. But it's this very simple process and it really, really works. And they've got great brands. They've got awesome styles for you. And again, you don't have to figure out what's in style, what looks good. They're going to make sure that you look good. And I did this. And I've talked about it before. I love the stuff that I got. I got a great couple great shirts that my, my son immediately was like, that's a really good shirt. He wants it already. 
And this is the cool thing. It's like you get stuff that's it's in your size. It's going to fit right. You get to try it on. You get to try it together. Super easy, super convenient. And uh, and and you got to try this. So they're, they have a special deal for, for our listeners. It's $25 off your first purchase. Go to Bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L, bombfell.com slash back to work, and you'll get 25 bucks off your first purchase. Go check them out. Thanks very much to Bombfell for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. And Dan Benjamin, Bok Bok. Yeah, I did a Bombfell, and boy, I got some good stuff. I got some very handsome stuff I would not ordinarily have picked out. That's the thing. It looks great. Stuff I wouldn't have thought to get. Yeah. Yeah, you just give them a little guidance, and boom, close. (laughs) That's right. Oh, my God. Big week. Woo. Huge week. It's be a big week. Yes. For you. You're, for you. Feeling, you feeling good about your week? You feeling good about it? I feel completely thrown off because I was cooped up at home for all these days and now yes. I'm here and I'm like, I got, I didn't get into work until 1230 and it's so weird. I don't know what's going on. And I finished season two of Fortitude and I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what to do next now. You feel like you're behind in the count as they say in football. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, aren't your, aren't your Eagles doing well? The Eagles are doing fairly well. I don't want to say anything because Okay, sorry. Well, all right. We our quarterback uh tore his ACL, so he's the main quarterback is out. We're expecting oh, no Foles to carry us now. Uh and we've got a very very serious matchup for the NFC uh title um this Saturday against the Vikings who are playing well and Cinderella's story, right? Tears in his eyes. Tears in his eyes, I guess. So Mhm. Well, thoughts and prayers, Dan. I'm going to be thinking about your Philly Eagles. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, let's button this up. All right. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.